0: If you follow the news closely, when it comes to globalization, China, undoubtedly speaking, it's one of the largest and also we'll say the most important economic partners not just for many countries in Southeast Asia, but to, particularly speaking, we're also looking at this economic agenda across the world. If you follow the news closely, recently, the brand new prime minister from New Zealand paid a short visit to China. And also during the visit, I guess the word we can describe are two. Number one, constructive. And number two, meaningful. So when we talk about this political change in China, and also we follow this slowness of this economic progress in China, people are questioning If China still have the ability or especially this economic capability to strengthen the relationship with countries such as New Zealand, how should we understand the visit by the prime minister from New Zealand and also how significant is the progress between the two countries? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, who is Mr. Jeffrey Miller. Mr. Miller is the Democracy Project's geopolitical analyst, and he writes on current New Zealand foreign policy and also related geopolitical issues. He has lived in Germany and also in the Middle East, and he's a learner of Arabic and Russian, and currently he's working on a PhD on New Zealand's relationship with the Gulf states. Well, Mr. Miller, and welcome back to The Missing Piece.
1: Thank you, Will. It's good to be with you again.
0: Well, Mr. Miller, again, I want to get started with a simple question. As we mentioned in the intro, the visit initiated by New Zealand Prime Minister Chris Hipkins to China this time was rather short. But meanwhile, two words that came out state uh uh, straight from the state media was warm and constructive and there's also this is something that the prime minister emphasized many times some people believe those type of words are actually sounded patronizing to china but meanwhile the trip can be understood as rather productive and fruitful so mr miller let's start with the first question what do we understand from the visit Again, by the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins.
1: Well, I, I think in many ways, this trip felt like a blast from the past. It felt like the China-New Zealand relations of old. Uh, it felt like a trip from maybe 10 years ago uh, when you know we lived in, I think, simpler times, geopolitically speaking, uh, to some degree. Uh, of course, we're not in that uh, period now. So mm. this trip was remarkable because it was a real good news story in the mm. sense that there were so many positive things that came out of this trip. There weren't any real tensions of note o- on the trip. Uh, Chris Hipkins you know, had a seat at the top table. He had three really big meetings, including with the Chinese president and the Chinese premier. China really rolled out the red carpet I think they were lavish in their praise. Uh, That goes for the state media in China as well, the likes of the Global Times, the China Daily. Uh, other media in China were were very lavish in, in their praise of Chris Hipkins and of New Zealand and The Global Times had a, an opinion piece uh, talking about new zealand 's independent policy making and how it could be an example for other western countries and You get the impression that China was very keen to impress New Zealand mm. and to remind New Zealand of its importance and to to send a statement really of just how good relations can be with one of the five eyes countries, and I, I guess that's new zealand's biggest value to china in, in is that uh, it is one of those five eyes countries uh one of those uh, top english speaking countries if you like. And, uh, you know, therefore, you know, despite New Zealand's size, you know, population five billion, which is insignificant to China in terms of trade. Um, you know, China is very important for New Zealand's trade, but you can't really say the reverse is true. But it is important, I think, in terms of the, the signals and the statements that the relationship sends. And China has often used New Zealand as a test case. We, New Zealand had the first free trade agreement uh, for any Western uh, developed country, for example. That's one that's often cited. And there are other examples as well. Mm. So, you know, I think it was a very positive trip. Warm and constructive were the words that Chris Hitkins, the New Zealand Prime Minister, used. He used them no fewer than eight times in a press conference. So we know that we meant to take away that it was warm and constructive, but I do actually think that is probably true. And, you know, that's an achievement in 2023 for anything to be warm and constructive in, in diplomacy. I think you, you're kind of doing well. Uh, and, you know, I think overall it was a successful trip. He packed a lot in. It was a four day trip, essentially a f- four full days in China, uh, visiting three cities, um, you know, packed in all kinds of meetings. you know had a big trade dimension as well he took along 29 uh, new zealand business people to China as well. And, and, you know, these exporters, they rely heavily on the Chinese market. Don't mm. forget, uh, New Zealand, ex, you know, around 30% of New Zealand's exports uh, go to China every year. It's New Zealand's biggest trading partner, biggest export market by, by far. Mm. So, uh, you know, for all of these reasons, China is important to uh, New Zealand. Um, New Zealand's important to China, but perhaps for, for slightly different reasons.
0: Mr. Miller, again, I want to go back to the two words that, again, um, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins used, again, as you mentioned, more than eight times. The two words warm and constructive. And number one, when we talk about or when we use the word warm, does that mean the personal friendship between New Zealand and China can be described as the word warm? constructive does that mean both sides that actually reached a lot of potential agreement when we look at this economic agenda or look at this mutual economic interest so because again it's not it's i want to be careful it's not really what we hear from people it's not really what we hear from both sides it's actually what we saw through the media that the two leaders that actually met and also sat down again across the table and have engaged this meaningful dialogue. So how significant, again, help us with better understanding that from Hipkin's perspective to use the word warm and constructive, could you elaborate on those two words a little bit more, Mr. Miller?
1: Well of course we're not in the in the room in these meetings, so we've only got the accounts of both sides to go on and uh, of course that's always the problem with these these high level meetings you'd love to be a fly on the wall wouldn't you to know what really went on I, I think you've got to put this in context will uh, the the weekend before Chris Hipkins went to China there was a report in the uh, the Australian newspaper which is a, a major broadsheet in Australia owned by Uh, Rupert murdoch ultimately so it's a conservative newspaper just to give you an idea of its leanings and it had a report uh, that a source had told the newspaper that new zealand's foreign minister nanaia mahuta had received a a quote-unquote epic haranguing Mm. when she met her chinese counterpart in beijing back in march And, of course, we we had no idea that that really happened Um, at the time. I remember talking about these meetings that Nanaimo had in China. They seemed quite positive, actually, to me. But we now know that the tone of those meetings was perhaps slightly we could say slightly less constructive mm. um, than you might have hoped. And Nanaimo Huda did actually kind of confirm this last week. She said, you know, the meetings were very robust, which is another way of saying you know, uh, there was tension in the room. So I think when you look at this warm and constructive language that Chris Hitkins used to describe the meeting last week with Xi Jinping, it was all about drawing a contrast mm. with meetings that have tensions, and he, he was at pains to stress how warm and friendly everything was. He said it literally at one point, you know, the meeting was at no point adversarial. So I think there was just a, a really concerted effort on both sides to make this visit to China all about the positives, because they knew any point of tension would be seized upon mm. by media um, mm. and by analysts like myself, of course because you know this is the context in which we're operating at the moment is that there is a lot of tension between china and the west
0: mm. and
1: uh you know that's just the reality china wanted this though to be all about the positives and mm. so uh, even if there are issues of tension they weren't going to be raised at that top leader level in any great degree and i i take chris hitkins at his word i mean there were issues that are Controversial that were mentioned, mm. uh, you know, human rights were mentioned uh, according to Chris Hipkins. Ukraine, uh, the war there, other other issues of tension that we talk about today were obviously uh, talked about the uh, situation in the Pacific, uh, where you've got both. You know, western countries and china are uh, really embarking on on something of a great game at the moment to sign up as many agreements uh defense and otherwise with uh the small pacific island states so you know there were controversial issues discussed but chris Hipkins was just at pains to say you know that everything was discussed in a very friendly manner and nothing was discussed in, in a huge amount of detail and the main focus was on trade and really strengthening business ties and i guess by emphasizing the business side of things the trade side that is kind of the positive side for uh new zealand china relations it's the amount of money that new zealand makes from selling its wares to china uh, and to some degree vice versa Mm -hmm. but as i said to you earlier the balance is heavily uh in new zealand's favor in that respect i mean new zealand needs china a lot more than the other way around so yeah, you know, I, I think the meetings were warm and constructive. Uh, that doesn't mean that the entirety of the New Zealand-China relationship is always warm and constructive. I, I think there are real tensions, and I think they are growing. New Zealand is increasingly moving more to the Western side, in, in my judgment, you just look at this year. New Zealand signed up to a, a statement, a joint statement on economic coercion that was yeah. clearly aimed at China uh, a few weeks ago. So that was statement was signed with the Five Eyes countries and with Japan. Uh, new zealand signed military agreements with fiji and japan uh, just in the last couple of months or so uh you know there are many many examples of new zealand shifting more to the i guess the u.s side in the in the past year or so just the blocks with which new zealand is associating itself nato uh first and foremost is a, is a big one uh, chris hipkins will go to his next foreign trip very soon he will, he will fly to lithuania for the nato summit uh which is a huge red flag mm. for for China. So, you know, there are lots of examples where New Zealand I think is settling more on the western side. There's a lot of pressure on New Zealand to join uh The likes of the us and australia and taking a more critical view of china and that's what made this trip so remarkable because it felt like a return as i said at the outset it felt like a return to the days of old when uh, new zealand and china relations were just very positive and there weren't a lot of of tensions um you know there are now there are real areas of 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 tension and uh, difficulty in the relationship, but they weren't going to show last week. Last week was all about celebrating 50 years of diplomatic relations between New Zealand and China. It was the red carpet and Chris Hipkins was treated incredibly, incredibly well. Mm. Uh, China was clear. I think their strategy was this was not a week to talk about tensions and difficulties. They were gonna pull out all the stops to just make Chris Hipkins go home happy and feel that he'd been treated like a king. And, uh, you know, it really was quite remarkable. Those images that came out, uh, last week of, of Chris Hipkins, um, you know, on his trip in China, really just getting treated like a, like a, as I said, like a king, like a celebrity of some kind, um, in his travels. And remember, this is a relatively new, untested prime minister. in his first really big diplomatic trip, he's done a, you know, a couple of smaller trips to the UK and Australia, Papua New Guinea, but this was by far his biggest, uh, Uh, biggest appointment on the world stage to date and he's been prime minister for for less than six months
0: well again mr miller i agree with you that based on the reports again uh, domestically speaking and also internationally we've seen the such treatment that again china offered to the prime minister of new zealand but meanwhile again something that you mentioned is quite meaningful is Chris Hipkins, he's scheduled to visit Lithuania again because of the NATO partnership. Again, NATO is such a sensitive topic to China today. And given the fact that we're looking at or we're still looking at the war in Ukraine. Now, I want to, before we bring U.S. into the conversation, I want to lend uh, a last question to you is, how do you think that Chris Hipkins is able to handle nato were able to uh, maintain this peaceful or at at least this harmonious dialogue with the nato meanwhile china can be seen as a major political threat or again i want to be careful maybe maybe not a threat but this political uh, growth or this political impact how well do you think uh, uh chris hipkins can actually handle the pressure from made uh, from nato after his visitation to china your thoughts mr miller
1: Uh, it's a huge it's a huge challenge i think that's the word we use these days uh, to describe problems as challenges Mm. and uh, china is described by nato as a major strategic challenge Uh, they released a new blueprint last year at their their summit and china is clearly called out Uh, despite you know everything that nato has got to handle with the war in ukraine they are very clear that china is in the end, the, the bigger, uh, the bigger threat, uh, which is quite remarkable, given you know, NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, mm. uh, that their their focus and their interest is turning to the Indo Pacific. But they've signed up. New Zealand is one of uh, four Asia Pacific partners, along with uh, Japan, South Korea, and Australia, and the their leaders are all heading to the summit in Lithuania next week. Uh, it will be. Yeah, it will be really fascinating to see. As you say, it is a huge challenge because this is the world's premier military alliance, the premier Western bloc, and uh, it's directly challenging China, which is New Zealand's biggest trading partner by far. And as Chris Hopkins, of course, will go to NATO with these memories of of all the positive uh, welcomes and receptions Mm. that he attended in China, and he'll be heading to Lithuania and being told, you know, China is the real problem for all of us and we need to take it seriously and Chris Hipkins has just signed a very positive joint statement uh, with China saying that you know China is welcome in the the comprehensive and, and progressive trans-pacific partnership the CPTPP and um, that New Zealand reaffirms the one China policy and all of these uh, lines you would expect in a joint statement between uh, China and New Zealand um, and then he's heading to NATO it, it's two poles uh, two complete opposites I think it will be fascinating to see how he handles some of these questions that he's going to be asked while he's in uh, Lithuania. Mm-hmm. To me, it's it was very clearly a strategy by China to invite Chris Hitkins to come to Beijing just before NATO um, mm-hmm. to get in first. And uh, there was some discussion and debate about whether this meeting, uh, whether Chris Hitkins' trip to China would even eventuate this year because of the fact that Chris Hipkins had agreed to go to the NATO summit. And this visit to China was announced at relatively short notice. It had been delayed for some months. Uh, It had meant, you know, it had been originally scheduled for the start of this year at some point. Didn't happen. Uh, um, But then it was suddenly announced a couple of weeks ago that it would take place at the end end of June. So... You know, I, I think it will be fascinating to see how Chris Hedkins handles this. I mean, New Zealand's relationship with China is often uh, described as, you know, a balancing act, a tightrope, or whatever the metaphor may be. Um, you know, it is a challenge, uh, to use that favourite word of, of diplomats at the moment. Um, and, you know, I guess the challenge for New Zealand is just how far it can go in one direction uh, without the other side really really taking offence, mm. and I think that will be the biggest challenge for Chris Hipkins. I think he's he's shown some skill, some dexterity so far. Uh, if you follow the news, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Chris Hipkins was asked whether he would agree with uh, the US President Joe Biden, who called, Chris, uh, called Xi Jinping a dictator, and Chris Hipkins quickly said, no, and it's a matter for the Chinese people. That went down very, very well in Beijing. It was a quick answer was not rehearsed or prepared but it was really the right answer uh, not to get involved and not to get involved in this US-China spat but in the end New Zealand is involved because New Zealand's signing up to a lot of US blocks and statements if you look at these uh, new arrangements like partners in the Blue Pacific when you look at NATO and the Asia-Pacific partners so New Zealand is signing up to a lot of these things Mm. but China is looking very carefully at the language used I think Beijing will be will be happy so far they'll be watching though they'll be watching Chris Hipkins very carefully um when he's in Lithuania. and uh you know, Chris Hipkins is very mindful i think that uh everyone is listening for his words uh right, That's now. right and um you know you can you can make you can make huge gaffes if you're not careful with these issues so uh you know he is relatively untested on the dip- well, you know on the diplomatic stage. But he is a quick learner, he said that himself, uh, and uh, I think you'll have to do keep doing a lot of learning. He didn't make any gaffes last week uh, mm. to any great degree. The only one that I picked up on that I think was perhaps slightly ill-judged, he was asked whether China was a friend and partner of New Zealand, because that is how Xi had described New Zealand uh, publicly and Chris Hipkins initially hesitated and he talked talked around, dodged the question, and before he finally agreed with the journalist that, you know, China was a friend and a partner to New Zealand, which is actually a fairly innocuous description. I, I think friend and partner can mean lots of things. Mm. It's, it's very different, say, to the word ally. If he was asked, you know, is China an ally of New Zealand, I think that means something quite different. Um, but friend and partner, I, I think, yeah, it sums up the relationship really, really well with uh with China, the, the relationship that New Zealand has, and you know, 50 years of diplomatic relations, mm. free trade agreement, uh, a lot of ties between the two countries, I reckon friend and partner sums it up very well, but Chris Hipkins initially hesitated to agree with the journalist that, that China was fitted that, that description. I think he realised that was something of a mistake, and he did correct himself, I guess, later in that press conference. So, um, Overall, Chris Hipkins isn't making a lot of gaps. That's really, a really useful attribute as he goes into the uh, the NATO summit, which is you know the meeting of the most hawkish uh, grouping uh, on the planet.
0: Really. Mm. Well, again, Mister Miller, it's quite uh, considered as a milestone for Hipkins to take on this journey to China, because again, as we mentioned in the intro. When it comes to globalization, undoubtedly speaking, that China is playing a rather uh, 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 irreplaceable role for the whole world. Now, two more questions before letting you go. As we know that relationship between U.S. and China is standing at the crossroads, on the good side, that Hipkin's refusal to sign up to the U.S. President Joe Biden's description, again, as you mentioned before, to call the current Chinese leader Xi Jinping as a dictator. Um, again, this is a very positive message. This is a very, very friendly and well-accepted gesture from uh, the Chinese perspective. But meanwhile, how much do you think that his attitudes towards China could actually impact the relationship between New Zealand and the West? Because we know today... When we look at this Western policy, especially the foreign policy, it's one thing to understand America standing at the crossroads, but meanwhile, some people worry that America today is in this desperate condition or in this desperate mood, would like to collect more allies and more partners to go head-to-head with China. So how much do you think this rhetoric from Chris Hipkins to China could actually impact the relationship between new zealand and uh, and the us especially regarding this foreign policy your thoughts mr miller
1: yeah i mean this is this is the fascinating question isn't it well there's a lot of pressure on new zealand right now from its western partners to really stand alongside uh, them to fall in line, if mm. you like. Um, and this comes back to AUKUS, for example, the new agreement, a very high-level pact between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. New Zealand is clearly being wooed and encouraged to sign up to what's called Pillar Two of of this arrangement, mm. which is the the, the, high, the technology side of things uh, away from the nuclear-powered submarines that form the first pillar. Uh, the us is sending high-level diplomats to visit uh, new zealand there was one here uh, just a few weeks ago daniel Christian uh, Brink, who's a, an assistant secretary of state there's a lot of pressure right now on new zealand uh to to sign up to western alliances joe biden who we talked about earlier with that dictator comment he's a very much an alliance builder he he he's a i guess a a figure from the cold war and that's i think the basis on which he operates so he wants multilateral Mm. arrangements as much as possible he does not want bilateral side agreements with new zealand instead which new zealand would be much more comfortable with new zealand would be much more comfortable with direct sort of bilateral arrangements with the u.s the u.s doesn't want that they want new zealand signing up to you know, partners in the Blue Pacific to the NATO, Asia-Pacific partners to, to whatever it may be to AUKUS um, and that's uncomfortable because that kind of those kind of blocks are the, the red flags for China so I guess Western countries and I, I'm thinking in New Zealand's case particularly Australia and the US they're going to only put more pressure on New Zealand I think mm. after this Trip to China by Chris Hipkins because they can see that New Zealand has now balanced itself up by going to china and and talking nicely about China and issuing this very positive joint statement with Beijing uh, New Zealand just has evened itself up a bit. I would still argue that New Zealand is still much more on the 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 pro western side mm. um, than it was you know a couple of years ago. I mean the war in Ukraine was a huge turning point we've mm. talked about that before on your on your on your show well. Um, you know, New Zealand introduced uh, autonomous sanctions. It had no ability to do that before uh, the Russia invaded Ukraine. So uh, Ukraine really pushed New Zealand foreign policy in a more pro-US, pro-Western direction. I think we're still, at that point, relations are not th- the way that they were um, with New Zealand and other countries where New Zealand could, some to some extent, could largely duck for cover uh, and just focus on its trade. That's no longer the situation. You, you've got now New Zealand is really the centre of it, of attention uh, from you know the US and from Australia the Pacific. Of course, is very much the centre of attention um, at the moment with uh, you know this this what I call the Great Game mm. between the US and China. So you know New Zealand will be can continue to be a very much a country of interest. I think because of this, because New Zealand. You know, it's It's more taking a more u s friendly approach, but it's not fully committing itself to those Western alliances and it's just it really remains to be seen how long New Zealand can sustain this strategy. I think at some point you know New Zealand may be really pushed into a corner and told to choose, and that's going to be very 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 dangerous moment mm. for New Zealand a very very hard moment for New Zealand to face because in the end. New Zealand is just so heavily reliant on uh, China for trade. And this last, this trip by Chris Hipkins only emphasised that New Zealand uh, really is dependent on the Chinese market. And when you look at where Chris Hipkins is heading next, he's going to uh, Brussels before he goes to uh, Lithuania, to Vilnius. And we expect that he's going to, that there will be the ratification of the New Zealand EU uh, free trade agreement that was signed a year ago by, by Jacinda Ardern, Chris Hipkins' predecessor, it's now going to be ratified and come into force probably in, in, in the, end of the end of the year or start of 2024. Now, that agreement is, is very weak when it comes to agricultural products that New Zealand sells. Um, New Zealand will be allowed to sell only 10,000 tonnes of beef mm. uh, to the European Union, which is just nothing. you
0: know, For what New Zealand would need, uh, you
1: know, in terms of trade diversification, if it were to move away from the Chinese market. So the European Union is simply too protectionist and it doesn't want uh, New Zealand product where it counts. When mm. it comes to uh, dairy and meat, those are New Zealand's biggest value exports. That's what it sells a, a huge amount of to China. The EU is, is really shutting the door. So I think if you want to see you know the challenges that New Zealand faces in its foreign policy, you know, this last week and the next couple of weeks will just uh, uh, really encapsulate the dilemma that New Zealand faces, mm. um, where it's got the constant pressure on it from all sides, and there are real trade-offs uh, to be made. Whatever New Zealand does, I don't think there's a perfect option for New Zealand. I guess that's what makes it fascinating for me as an analyst, as an uh, observer of this uh, to follow, because you know there are risks and rewards wherever you look with new zealand foreign policy mm. and uh, you know there really is a a real intense focus on what wellington does what chris hitkins does at the moment and uh, you know we've also got an election just to conclude there will um this october october the 14th so um, we could have a change of government in new zealand that will also uh, potentially complicate matters so mm. it's, a, it's a fascinating year 2023 to follow Uh, what new zealand foreign policy what what is happening in
0: it well indeed mr miller again i'm very glad you mentioned regarding this upcoming election in august now again the last question i want to wrap up is i know that you're working on uh this phd on new zealand's relationship with the gulf states now let's bring china back into this picture we know China also directly has a lot more financial and also political impact with the Gulf states. Now, help us with briefly understanding, Mr. Miller, how significant it is for the world, particularly, again, to uh, the people in China and also around the world, to understand this relationship between New Zealand and the Gulf states. Why is that so important for all of us?
1: Well... I'm, I'm As I said, uh, or as you said, I'm, I'm doing this PhD. I started about a year ago, and I'm just about to embark on my field work, which really will consist on a, a of a lot of interviews with mm. players both here in, in New Zealand and in the Gulf itself. And you know, the Gulf is, is a huge market for New Zealand. It's not really appreciated as such in New Zealand, but it's our uh, seventh or eighth biggest trading partner as a block, these uh, countries of the Gulf Cooperation Council, the six Saudi Arabia Bahrain Qatar um Oman uh, Kuwait um I think there's one one other I've forgotten but uh Mm. United Arab Arab Emirates of course UAE um so that's I guess the significance for New Zealand it fits into this talk about trade diversification if you're going to look for other markets other than China because Mm. you want to shore yourself up The Gulf is actually a pretty good place to look because they're not protectionist, unlike uh, the likes of the European Union and the United States. uh, The Gulf is happy to buy what New Zealand is selling and particularly uh, its milk and and meat products. That's because, you know, they don't really produce a lot of those goods themselves being relatively, you know, very hot, not relatively, very hot desert uh, climates. I guess that's the significance for New Zealand. New Zealand has become more interested in the Gulf in the last few years because it can see that it's a a growth market, Uh, it's a growing market, it's becoming increasingly wealthy, there's Vision 2030 in in Saudi Arabia.
0: Mm. So
1: I think it's a good uh, topic to explore for New Zealand's relations. How it fits into the global picture? Well, I guess, as you mentioned, China is... You're increasingly looking towards the Gulf and, and vice versa, the Gulf countries, and particularly Saudi Arabia, um, they want to get away from being uh, in lockstep with, mm. the, with the United States, and they want to really be on their own side. In a sense, I don't think I don't get the impression that Gulf countries, and particularly Saudi Arabia, want to be necessarily on the Chinese side. They just want to get. Be, be free of the, the, as I said, being attached to uh, the Western side. And they want to be able to go in whatever direction they choose. And I think in some ways that's what New Zealand also wants. New Zealand just wants to have its independent foreign policy. And that's the, the phrase that's often been used by New Zealand politicians over the last 30 years to describe... Our foreign policy is that it's an independent foreign policy. We listen to what everyone else wants, and then we do what was best for us. Mm. So I think the Gulf countries are also in that space. Maybe they've come to it slightly later than New Zealand, um, but I think they're also in the mood for just being them, themselves, uh, dealing with the West, dealing with China, and um, and just being trying to be on good terms with everybody and uh and trade is of course a big part of that so you know trade is growing hugely between uh, china and saudi and saudi arabia for example Uh, there's a biggest trading partner now for saudi arabia is china just like for new zealand the biggest buyer of oil i think now and um you know everything is really growing they also had a a meeting uh between the the two leaders Uh, xi jinping went to saudi arabia Mm. um and recently and and met uh with uh
0: mohammed bin salman so I, I think there are some parallels there of course some differences
1: new zealand in the end is not the gulf it doesn't have the geostrategic position that the gulf done but perhaps there are some lessons that new zealand uh, can learn from the gulf and the gulf can learn from new zealand and how to navigate all of these uh, turbulent times geopolitically speaking
0: of course again mr miller i agree with you 100 percent that today post the pandemic everyone is paying attention to this economic agenda again uh given the fact that this pandemic forced or say unwillingly that isolated the countries in a greater way but today when we look at this economic or political engagement, that we need to have this positive and meaningful engagement for the bigger picture. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Mr. Jeffrey Miller. Again, Mr. Miller is the Democracy Projects Geopolitical analysis, And also he writes on current New Zealand foreign policy and also related geopolitical issues well mr miller thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show it's been a pleasure and we'd love to have you back on the show as we continue again to follow this upcoming trip for uh chris hipkins to uh again to belgium and also to uh, lithuania attend the natos and again any other related issues not just about new zealand but also around the matters in the world so thank you so much for doing this